my third eye Cause I got ton of vision Had to open my mind Then I opened the pins Like you gotta sell your soul For them to pay attention Fuck all that plan Now I'm grown I put my heart in it I had to get down with that crone And show them niggas I'm serious And it's like every song I'm on I be calling my spirits I put my hero on rocks I put my scotter on rocks Did you miss me? I know you did. Welcome back to the Big Zim Day Show. Or, I don't even really know what the name of this is called. Because I never even developed a name for it. I like organic stuff, so organically I'm hoping by the start of next year we'll have a set name for this. Um, without further ado, let's get into this thing. Because currently right now the current landscape of football is we got eight head coaching jobs um, out. Um... Looking for new head coaches in the NFL. Currently, the Bengals, if you don't know if you've been on a rock or don't know what you were sleeping in and you just came out of a cave, Marvin Lewis was fired 16 years later. Everybody was excited. Now everybody's worried. The current temperature of everybody like talking about, um, you know, the worries and the, and the doubts now uh, going into... Uh, the new hiring search is something that I'm not worried about. Because one thing that I preach about to you guys every day in my life, every time that you've ever heard me speak, is don't be afraid of change. There have been times in my life that I've been afraid of change. And those times where I was hesitant or I didn't make the move, I always second guess myself and I've always been pissed. And a lot of this stuff is about timing. So a lot of people have told me like, man, the timing of this is bad. You know, you got eight coaching jobs. So that means like, the hiring pool, like the guys that we really want, they won't be available because they're going to go to better jobs. And then, of course, you're always going to blame like Mike Brown, you know, as being like a reason why a lot of people wouldn't even want to, you know, take the job here. But I'm like one of them people that I feel like I like to wheel different situations into fruition. I like to, you know, like do my research. I like to, you know, check out a lot of stuff. So what I'm going to do is try to update you on the current status uh, January 8th, as I'm recording this podcast, we got a lot of guys that have already been hired. There's a lot of coaches um, that are now off the board. And some of the guys that you guys want are still out there and available. Um, first of all, let's talk about the jobs um, that are already gone. I want to first get into the Bucks, were one of the uh, teams that, you know, were looking for a new head coach. They now have uh, Bruce Arians. That is official. Uh, Arians is a guy that I really, really like that can also be a part of a culture change. Don't think a mind like that would have worked directly with the Bengals. The Bengals didn't even um, uh, uh, request them for an interview. Uh, next, you got... Let's, I, I want to touch on the Jets real quick. The Jets are very, very headstrong on uh, Mike McCarthy. That's a thing. It's supposedly supposed to happen. I don't know if that's definite right now, but a lot of the traction is saying Mike McCarthy. They did an interview of a guy, Eric Bieniemy, who you're going to hear me talk about through a lot of this podcast. Eric Bieniemy is a guy that they uh, interviewed. I don't know if they were just doing it for the Mooney rule. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, for the Rooney rule. The Rooney rule, um, if you aren't sure or aren't 100% on board with it, is something that the National Football League enforced um, it just makes them interview ethnic minority candidates uh, for head coaching um, senior football operations jobs. Um, 
sometimes people call it as a part of affirmative action. Um, I don't really know the difference for that, but uh, I and and I'm really not really really a hundred percent on uh, the the preference um, given to how many candidates have to be interviewed and everything like that. I know that was a big thing um, when uh, John Gruden um, got hired. They were questioning the fact that he didn't go through the proper process. He said that he did. If you want to just look into that, go ahead, check it out, be my guest. But it immediately after they finished uh, interviewing Eric Bieniemy, they immediately said that they were done. So I, I, at, the, at the very beginning of that, I thought that was because they, they got their man. As, but as we move forward, uh, further into this thing, um, it's looking at Mike McCarthy. Now, in this list, I will tell you this. The, the job that people are, are, are saying, or it's kind of easy to say, is the best or most sought-after jobs would be the Browns, the Jets, at the top of that list. And then you probably go into the Green Bay Packers. Arguably, fourth on that list probably would be maybe the Bengals, just on the strength of the roster. Um, but that that was the Dolphins. The next one I had on there was uh, the Cardinals. And and, the, and before I step any further, the Jets would be highly desirable because they got lots of cap space, they got money, they have ownership that will spend the money, um, they have a defense that is progressing a lot. Um, I feel like um, what's his name? Bowles left them in good hands. And then uh, the number one thing is you got a Sam Darnold that looks like he's on the rise. And then what better way? to pair him up with a guy that's been matched up with the number one quarterback in Aaron Rodgers than Mike McCarthy. Um, the next team I want to go to is uh, the Dolphins. I haven't heard too much traction on that one. Um, uh, what was the... Let me... I wrote down a couple notes. Give me a second. Um, uh, Brian Flores is emerging as the the top candidate for the, the um, Dolphins head coach job. Um uh, Chris Richard is like uh, also another person that's been linked to them a lot. Um, don't really know that much about them. Didn't care about either one of them for us. The next one is going to be Cardinals. That was uh, announced earlier today, and that's Cliff Kingsbury. He's the quarterback that I used to be a big fan of. Uh, I think that was, what was that, a Texas Tech? That's back in my days when I did like college football. I do not like college football anymore. I watched the national championship last night, and even though it wasn't boring or anything like that, I have a son, and I was playing with him, like, the whole time. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't, like, anything really, I don't know. I feel like, every, like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is amazing. Uh, if he stays a couple years, that will be awesome. And that's the problem why I stopped watching college football. It, you'll see as I go into these thoughts, I always get sidetracked. So, please stop me. Nobody's here to stop me because I'm here with just my dog and my cat. So, sorry. I get sidetracked a lot. All right. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury who actually led a very bad office with USC. So I don't know what that's about. I do like his mind matched up. I do like their quarterback a lot. Um, uh, Josh Rosen coming out of college. I'm getting a lot of, uh, I was reading a lot of articles that were saying that people are really, really uh, putting a lot to uh, Haskins going number one now. And they're talking about the Cardinals trading away. Um, Rosen or some crazy articles I've read like that, but you're going to see a lot of that stuff right now um, uh, before the draft and during the draft and everything like that. So but check, be, be on the lookout for that. A lot of people like myself been thinking Dwayne Haskins is going to go top five. If you don't know Dwayne Haskins, he's the Ohio State quarterback. Had 
overwhelmingly the best quarterback in the draft. But the conversation has always been the top five teams coming up um, or the even top eight uh, teams are already have franchise quarterbacks. But a lot of people are saying that Dwayne Haskins could absolutely maybe go to the Cardinals with the first pick. That could be a lot of stuff that the Cardinals are just throwing out there now just to get more leverage for when they're going to trade away the number one pick. Because best believe someone is going to trade up. So a lot of people that are saying Haskins for the Bengals or whatever, if this new coach can't convince this new um, front office uh, with Katie and the boys, like if they, if, he, if they can't convince them to make a major move and trade up like something crazy, to, at least to get to the top six, there's no way you could look at Haskins. Uh, we'll talk about quarterback briefly at the end of this, I think, today, because I really want to get into this uh, coaching search. A lot of people have been looking for information, but the one thing that the Bengals do, and I don't blame them, is they uh, keep all that stuff really tight-lipped, don't give, put a lot of information out there. The next uh, one uh, is Matt LaFleur. He's going to go to Green Bay. That's the number one job or number two job that's highly sought out. Um, he's the Titans offensive coordinator. The next one... Um, we got the Browns. Um, they're down to two people. The Browns are down to, uh, well, this, these are the reports, and this is the stuff that I read. The Browns are down to two people, and that's uh, Fangio. Um, Fangio, I'm sorry, the, the defensive coordinator for the Bears, and then also Mike Munchak, um, the offensive uh, line uh, coach for the Steelers. I also pitched out a... a a poll for you guys before uh, say, hey, would you guys like Mike Munchak? Because Mike Munchak was really a hot name about two years ago. I think he had like problems with his uh, his wife's health, and so he was forced to stay in Pittsburgh. I think that situation got a lot better. The last one, uh, or the name, um, that I think is out of the race now is uh, Josh McDaniels. The Bengals put in a request for Josh McDaniels they took uh, Josh McDaniels' decline, which is not a big thing. That's not a problem. He was never really high up on my list. He was in my top five, but I removed him from my top five. The next thing that I'm going to be going into is my top five. Josh McDaniels um, was in, in my top five, but I've taken him out. He's apparently not impressed with the interviews he had. I think the only one he really had that I saw was Green Bay. The last job, I think Browns is really, really getting a lot of uh, traction on Freddie Kitchens. That bodes well for us because one thing that I could see was Eric Bieniemy, um really fitting in with that. I really feel like Eric Bieniemy, as much as I want him to go to the Bengals, I just thought that was a great fit for him to go to the um, for the Browns and then still keep Freddie Kitchens as like the offensive coordinator or whatever you want to do um, with Freddie Kitchens still in house because I, I think they could make that work. You know, two former players. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like that was a great match. All right, so without further ado, let me go into my top five list. All right, so my number one uh, candidate, and I said this months before he was the hottest name in the league, and that's Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy has a history with Mike Brown, um, which is important, and I think that that's something that you got to take uh, take notice of. Um, one thing I do want people to know is that when you're talking about the Bengals currently right now, Mike Brown's last straw, Mike Brown's last big move or last decision that I think he's going to have an imprint on, He now, he's not going to go away. You know, he loves the team. Um, as much as y'all think that he wants to lose and stuff, he doesn't. 
He loves the team. He doesn't want to lose, um, whether you like him or not. Um, you might call him a cheapskate. I don't think he's a cheapskate. I think he's a millionaire that only has one source of money. That's a whole nother conversation. He kind of sounds like, I always tell people Mike Brown sounds like, I'm not a millionaire, but he sounds like someone like me that has a good amount of money based in one company, and then I can't really afford to do but too many chances that you could take in your daily life. I could do, I could eat anywhere I want. I could travel anywhere I want, but I don't have the flexibility to just go and lose out on free agents and go lose out and make, you know, take these risks that someone like a Jerry Jones who strike struck oil is a goddamn billionaire. So it's a different philosophy, but, um, what my point is, Mike Brown is not going to be the guy that's doing any of these interviews. When the interviews are happening, the play, the people in place are our owner, Mike Brown's kids, his daughter, Katie Blackburn, his son-in-law, Troy Blackburn, and his son, Paul. They're more involved with running the team. The, those are the four. And, the, and then the other person that I keep on telling everybody is the silent GM. People say Bengals need a GM. They do have a, D, a GM. I just think with the structure of the company and Mike Brown um, not willing to change the structure or the hierarchy or the the tree of the way the money is funneled and different things like that, Duke Tobin is absolutely the GM. He's, if you don't know about Duke Tobin, Google him, check him out. He was started as a scout. His father was a scout. All these different things. He, he works so, so... He is the reason our roster is always lit but underperforms under Marvin, uh, Marvin Lewis or did underperform under Marvin Lewis. So those people are the people doing the interviews. It's not Mike Brown. So I just wanted to clear that up. Um, but going back into the number one candidate I had on there, at Eric Bieniemy, I should have went five to one, but f- forget it. Let's just do it. <laughs> Eric Bieniemy, um, he's younger. He's forty nine. Um, he's from Louisiana. He was drafted in the in the second round <coughs> in the ninety one um, draft. He had a, a a career as a Charger which I know him more for because I used to play uh, Super Tech Mobile when I was younger. I don't know if that's a hint at my age. Um, and uh, he, he also had a brief stint for three years with the Bengals. And then he played in the Eagles on his farewell tour, pretty much. So he had a little bit of a career. Um, as a coach, he started out with Colorado, then went to UCLA for a little bit, Minnesota, all running backs coach. He then did an offensive coordinator stint in Colorado, which led him to get into this Andy Reid tree. Andy Reid tree is super, super successful. Um, a lot of people were talking bad about Nagy and some of these guys that lost over the past weekend in the playoffs. I don't put any equity, any stock into any of that crap. The 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 uh, the Andy Reid tree is real. Um, but he's been a, a running back coach for the Chiefs from 2013 to 17. This is his first year as the offensive coordinator. Now, a lot of this is going to be on Patrick Mahomes, I, I know. But come on. This offense is surging like you've never seen before. The spacing, everything about it screams next level, right? Um, Coming into the – during the season, there was a big, big spat between me and a lot of you guys where everybody saying the defense is so trash. The defense is so trash. That's cool. The only reason why I say that, that that's cool or whatever is because – Currently, I mean, the Chiefs really are the like the 26th ranked defense in the NFL. They have no opportunity, no chance at ever losing 
80 percent of the games that they played some of these games got really tight uh you know as teams got more film on them later on in the season but my thing that i kept on telling you guys without going into a real real deep pro- uh conversation is that every time we scored 25 points we won the offense was so so terrible i could not believe that you all only paid attention to defense and i don't know if that's just a thing uh uh, father's father's grandfather told you defense wins championship. I'm in this boat. I'm in this small, small market of people that are in this new evolution of football. I am, I am a proponent of running the football, but I am a proponent of running the football only if, the, if, if running the football works. Like, I am highly invested in pro football focus as far as, like, my time and, uh, uh, you know, paying my annual, like, you know, I look at these things and I look at raw numbers. It doesn't, for me, and and, and this kind of goes hand-in-hand with the defense conversation. I watched Patriots play a game one time where they threw the ball 50-something times and ran the ball like six times. In that game, they absolutely torched the team. Uh, they did it again, and they didn't torch the team, but they knew that the run wasn't going to work. They watched enough film, and if something works, do it. You know, if you find a weakness on the other teams, do it. Don't run the football just to say I ran the football. So I had this argument all throughout the year that, hey, if you give the the ball to Mixon 20-something times, you know, that's a successful, you know, like game. But I'm saying that on the strength of the offense had to create first downs. If you're not creating first downs, then you can't run the football. And this notion that you just go out there and run the football two times, then go on third down and get an incompletion and then go three and out. I was never that guy, and I don't want you guys to confuse that. A lot of people go with this theory that you need to just bang, bang, bang at the line. If you get one yard, two yards, it doesn't matter. It sets up the play action later. But I would tell you that those negative plays or those plays that don't create that much only take away from the success that you could have had from passing the football that could have opened up the running game. So it's the same thing with this defensive conversation. If I can get on the field more times than you, then I'm going to limit your opportunities. And what I saw from the Bengals all year was a gas defense, a defense that was not hurt early on. A lot of those injuries that we had early on were from the offensive side of the ball. We had key injuries um, to Glasgow early on, uh, a couple of guys up front. Nothing serious, no, no major guys. I mean, Burford came off late, but I mean, come on. Uh, Brown got hurt. Preston Brown got hurt throughout the season. None of those things affected our wins and losses. I don't. T- to me, Gino was still there. Carlos was still there. W- William Jackson was still there. Jesse Bates was still there. Kirkpatrick was still there. Um, key guys were still there. Hubbard was still there. Lawson would be the biggest loss that I could say out of everybody on the defense because it opened up so much. I think Lawson gives you another win in his in in the in the entire season because of the amount of pressures he was putting on. But my my thing to you is this that defense is super, super important. But if you can get on the field, so if I can keep my offense on the field, I can limit the 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 amount of things that the defense needs to do. So the defense was looking so terrible because they would sit down for one minute, be right back on the field. And you're giving the Chiefs, like games like the Chiefs, the Saints, these games like that, where teams are just running up and down the field and then we're not coming back and combating with any offense. It just puts your defense at the worst possible place. 
Marvin Lewis didn't really make the defense better later on in the season. He just ran into to teams that didn't have the offensive firepower. The Broncos game was a key example. The Ravens game, at the time, we were the first team that saw Lamar Jackson. But they weren't just killing us and just throwing 30-something. You know what I'm saying? It, it was a decent game. It was so many missed tackles, so many, like, things in the run game that I saw that you could have fixed up and shored up at that point. But at that at that point, that was the last straw, I think, for the for the team anyway. But my point is, get the offense running, get them humming, score 25, I guarantee you. This is my guarantee to you. Score 25 points a game every game next uh, season. Guaranteed 9-7, 10-6. Without a doubt in my mind. Score 25 every game. If you don't score that, then your defense absolutely has to step up. Now, that's a whole nother conversation. But that's where the Eric Bieniemy thing comes from. The the I, I like the his relatability with the players. I like the offense that he's currently um, uh, overseeing. Now, he doesn't call plays. So a lot of people need to know that, that he doesn't call plays. Andy Reid still calls the plays. So that that's the that's the thing. Um uh so Eric Bienemy is definitely a guy that Mike Brown's familiar with, the family's familiar with. Um I, I just like the way that I think his interactions, when I think about the new leaders like Mixon, Hubbard, the guys that are gonna stand up and talk a little bit more, the guys that are gonna wanna do their thing. Tyler Boyd wants to do his thing. Uh Marvin Lewis a lot of times pigeonhole these guys in these big moments. Eric Bieniemy absolutely isn't going to run from that. I think even Andy Reid has a little bit of that nervous ener- Marvin Lewis type energy, and you're going to see that in the playoffs coming up too. It's like this uh, silent nervousness where teams don't, I mean, where players look for him to do stuff. Watch Eric Bieniemy on the sidelines. That is one thing that I'm going to be looking at um, during this time. Another thing that I want you guys to think about too is the Bengals also made a statement that said, that they won't be interviewing uh, – they, they haven't ruled out the possibility that they want to interview coordinators that are currently in the playoffs and out of respect to these coordinators or whatever, they're going to let them, like, you know, go through the process or course. I read that somewhere. Don't know where it was. I'm sorry I don't have the source for you right now, but I have read that. If you want to know when was Marvin Lewis hired, he was hired on January 16th. That was approximately about two to three weeks from the time of uh, the firing of – God darn it – that slipped my mind. We'll come back to that later. I'm so sorry about that. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a crazy sickness last week, so I'm just now getting better. All right, so Eric B. is my number one choice. Um, I just think that that that's a great thing. I do worry about, like, what is his plan for the defense? I don't know how he's interviewing because a lot of these interviews he's going to, and he even interviewed with the Bengals, and it wasn't like they came out and said, yeah, that's our guy. You know what I'm saying? So I do worry how he's interviewing but like I said, Bengals are tight-lipped. The next name I got for you is uh, Matt Eberflus. And Eberflus is the defensive coordinator for the Colts. Um, he's a, he's around that same age, too. Um, I like his energy. He's uh, uh, he's definitely a part of a full culture change um, right there with the Colts. You're going to see him um, with a tall task against the Chiefs. So I don't like that matchup for the Colts or whatever, but we'll see how this thing goes. Um, but Eberflus, um, uh, he was the linebackers coach for the Browns and the Dallas Cowboys. Um, he coached in Toledo and Missouri as well. Um, but Eberflus is a guy that's gotten, uh, 
Marcus Hunt, Marcus Hunt to play at an NFL level. So what more do you need other than that? You know? All right. So that that's my number number two choice. So a lot of people saying, well, Zim, that's defense. Yeah, but I'm all part of a culture change as well. And I feel like that guy right there will absolutely have the nuts, the chops to say, you know, um, you know, like to, to get the right people around. Number three is going to be Todd Munkin. He's the offensive coordinator for um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He, a long time ago, he was at Grand Valley State, went to Notre Dame, uh, Eastern Michigan, Louisiana Tech. Um, he he was the Jaguars uh, wide receiver coach in, uh, I think it was 07. Um, he went back to college, I, I know, Oklahoma State for a little bit in the Southern Miss. But he came back as offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach last year. This past year, he went into the offensive coordinator. Um, he is responsible. Now, now a lot of Buccaneers fans, including Wade Martin, shout out to Wade Martin, um, have told me this. They don't like the way that he utilizes running backs. But one thing that um, that could, that I would come back and say that he never really had any elite running backs as when he was offensive coordinator. Um, but as far as like wide receiver production, he is the king of it. The they lead the league in like uh, allocate like like just disbursement of the football to wide receivers throughout like all of football, um, and that's the number one thing that I think we're gonna have a challenge with coming up this year. They're number one in pass offense. They're number three in overall offense. So I mean. When you talk about offense, and then Eric Bieniemy is somebody who isn't as qualified. I hear a lot of people say, "I just like the culture," and I like I, even if he had to learn on the go with Eric Bieniemy, I just got a feeling like just he's more relatable. Munkin, though, I, I just feel like if you want to talk about somebody that's earned their stripes or has the resume, that would be a guy. Him and Eberflus would you know be a, a top of Eric Bieniemy. But since uh, I guess like a while ago, I've just been screaming Eric Bieniemy. I just had to run with it, and he just became the hottest candidate. But nobody's hiring him, so that is a little questionable uh, for me that nobody is like – it's not like a slam-dunk interview. But um, Munkin uh, is is a guy that the Bengals absolutely – they interview. Um, so that that's something that I really, really was very, very interested in. Um, I'm, I'm not sold on the culture chain aspect of it, but as far as offensive production – if we can get Ross out there to get some, you know, get more out of him, get Boyd to continue to do what he does, and then get the last prime year out of AJ Green coming up this year and after, and make him the next Larry Fitzgerald, sign me up. Um, my number four, believe it or not, would be Hugh or Vance. And a lot of people say, no, I don't want him anywhere near the team. Um, I feel like if Marvin would have had a healthy roster, at the very least, he'd have been seven and nine. All right, so we ended up six and ten. Six and ten. We had a healthy roster like Eifer, like on offense, like all right. So with that said, Hugh and Vance kind of represent an extension of Marvin in most people's eyes. So if 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 Marvin had a healthy roster or just a somewhat healthy roster towards the middle to the end of the season, we'd have ended up seven and nine. You probably would have won that Broncos game. Probably would have won. Maybe the Ravens game. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that. But if that's seven and nine, I think just by the pure pussiness of Marvin Lewis not going for it, 
not pulling triggers, scared to win throughout the first eight games, I think you get that out of Hugh. So that might give you another win right there. You're now like eight and eight. You know what I'm saying? And I think if Hugh could get more out of Andy like we saw before, and Vance Joseph is like the D coordinator or something like that, I got them like linked together. Then I'm a, I, I could be on board for that. Um, yeah, I would be on board for that because I, I just think that's nine wins. And no, that's not ideal. But I think with our roster and, and the way I'm looking at the playoffs, I wouldn't be scared to play the Patriots with our roster. I really wouldn't. I pr- the way that we played the Chargers and could have won that game or should have won that game makes me not afraid of them. The only team I'd really be afraid of, I guess, still, is just the Chiefs because it's just it's certain teams that the Chiefs and the Saints high-octane offenses were absolutely destroyed. It's some teams that play big in big moments um, against high-octane offenses. And, like, Steelers, I think, would do well against the Chiefs in the de- in, in the playoffs. There, there are a couple teams I think the Patriots would do pretty decent against. You know what I'm saying? There's teams that would do well. We, would, we don't bode well against high-octane offenses, in, in especially in primetime situations. But... If I can get the new culture or the new guys like Mixon to be the forefront of this thing, and I got these guys, and advance can get the defense up to par, and Hugh could get the offense of what it was before. I don't care who they want to say is the head coach or something. Like I like a package or something like with them. I just think that's that's a step up from Marvin. Marvin was six and ten. I think that gets you a healthy roster in either Hugh or Vance. I think that gives you one or two more wins. And Vance Joseph is currently the front runner, they're saying, throughout all outlets um, for this job, which I don't like when people say that because you really don't know. Nobody has a conversation with Katie or any of these people in house or Duke to even say that. Somebody is like, say you had an inside source and they say, and you talk to um, somebody inside the Bengals building and they say, yeah. That Katie Blackburn sure does like Vance Joseph. That doesn't mean that he's the front runner for the job. So that's like kind of ridiculous when I hear stuff like that. You don't know unless you had a conversation with Duke Tobin or any of the guys that I named. Um, I want to wrap this thing up because it's starting to stretch out a little long. The next one on my list I would have is uh, I put on here. It's like a two-way tie. It's like Chris Richard. Uh, that's the uh the 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 secondary coach for the Cowboys. Um I, I like the defense. There there are a couple guys at the at the Dallas Cowboys. If the Dallas Cowboys get put out in the playoffs, I would like them to interview a couple people over there. Because linebacker is a is a big time uh problem right now, and that's something that they are doing well over there. So linebacker is extremely important to me right now. So that that's one person I, w- I would like to check out. My number the last one on my list, I'm sorry, that was the end of the list. The last on my list would be, this is like a wild card thing. And this is like honorable mention. It's like Darren Simmons. And, uh, and the reason why I say that is because Darren Simmons is a very, very straightforward, very honest guy, very well-known person in the building, and a very slept-on uh, candidate. And I really like 
I always like his interviews. I always like his uh, his steady hand. I like the way I, I pay attention to a lot of interviews and a lot of ways that people communicate. And the way he communicates is always straightforward. It's not a hesitant bone in his body. And I love his outlook. He takes blame on different things. He's not afraid to speak on certain things. Uh, Erickson muffs a punt. He's, he talks about it. It's like different things like that. Now, from a production standpoint, I felt like the special teams wasn't the greatest this year. I felt as though he should have made some decisions um, with the Jake Elliott thing that maybe were above his head that I don't even think he probably could have even made if he wanted to. Um, but this is the, the the kicker. The Bengals interviewed Zach Taylor, who I'm not a big fan of because his offense when he was under Tuberville at Cincinnati, I didn't like, and Shane Waldron. Now, if they could pair Simmons up with a young Zach Taylor or Shane Waldron as an offensive coordinator, that's like my wild card thing that I would do at the end of this thing. Um, the very last thing that I want to touch on is that uh, from the quarterback situation, we had the number 11 pick. I want to say that my, my wild card thing is this. Number 11 is perfect for what I'm proposing. And that is Kyler Murray. And I, and I know it's super, super early on it, but to me, he's a Russell Wilson quarterback that this team needs. I think the mistake that they made with Lamar Jackson not taking him this past draft, not saying that Billy Price is a bust, not doing that. Billy Price is going to be a good NFL player. But knowing now what you know, Trey Hopkins is a viable center and played better than 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 uh, than Bill Price. Um now, now that I know that, I think when they saw Lamar Jackson, it just, even if Lamar Jackson isn't the quarterback of the future, just him coming in, 10, 12 plays, uh, whatever, even if he's not even that quarterback, just in some capacity, you missed on that. You missed on a lot of quarterbacks because the quarterback is so important and it's the most important position on the field. I, I feel like I didn't play any games on this podcast because I want to make sure I'm giving y'all the information that I can give y'all. But that that is super important to me is to get a quarterback. And a lot of people are saying, well, yeah, Bengals will probably go second, third round if they do do a quarterback the same way they did Dalton. I don't think they make that same mistake twice. And I think the new quarter, the new coach that they're going to bring in, I think the interviewing process with the Bengals, I think that the Tobin and these guys right there are looking at the numbers and they really, really believe in Andy Dalton still. I would love for them to say, hey, coach, do you think that we could do something without Andy Dog? And I want the coach to say, I absolutely want to have the power to draft the quarterback that I want. And if the quarterback is there, then I'm going to take him. And if, if the front office is cool with that, then that's a win for me. If the front office is pulling away, and, 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 and the, a telltale sign of that is that they do go with Vance or Hugh. Because Hugh believes in Dalton. And I'm pretty sure Vance does too. And I'm pretty sure they're more thankful and they want the head coach opportunity because I don't think anybody else would hire Vance Joseph or Hugh Jackson, and certainly not Hugh Jackson as head coach. So that would tell me that the front office is really still going to be pushing Dalton on us and really pushing that friendly contract. But like I've been telling y'all all along, Dalton is at his highest form of sale. Now, Joe Flacco is, fu- is messed up. I was about to curse. Joe Flacco has messed the market up for, for Andy Dog because now teams are going to have to look at like Flacco and a couple of other people to say, I mean, you, you're, Nick Foles is absolutely not going to be on the, on the Eagles next year either. 
um, with his contract. They got a buyout option. He's going to get out of it because he could make 20 with them, but another team is going to give him more after they've seen what he's done in the playoffs already and the fact that he won the Super Bowl last year. So it does mess it up for Dalton a little bit, but you could absolutely use Dalton as the perfect bridge quarterback. Kyler Murray, I absolutely in my mind think he'll be there at number 11. Because I think a lot of teams are going to probably have him almost like on some Lamar Jackson type stuff where they have him at the end of the first round just off of his size alone. I just think the offense with with Kyler Murray, Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, not even talking about Ross, just boy, I think Murray has the ability to see through the pocket and move a lot like Russell Wilson. A lot of y'all don't know, I went to school with Russell Wilson, so I saw a lot of Russell Wilson games, and it reminds me of Russell Wilson so much. It's like crazy. Couple, and I don't like college football anymore. I watch it sometimes when I watch his games. The second half of that bowl game, it's, it, it screamed Russell Wilson to me because when it mattered the most, he came through. So I'm going to really be really looking into his film a lot more. I'm going to watch a couple of his games. But that's somebody that I think will still be on the table. Now, a lot can happen from now and when the draft comes out. Now, a lot of people are also going to say, well, Zim, he's going to MLB. People close to him and a lot of people around him say he loves football more than baseball. But baseball-wise, you know, has more guaranteed money. So the smarter thing would be to do is go play baseball for sure, if it were me. But if he really truly loves football like they say and he enters the draft, his agents are telling him he's a first-round talent for sure because the draft pool for quarterbacks is so low. The Bengals are at a perfect spot because you're not too high to take them. It, it would be... Say you were like at number five, six, something like that. To go Kyler Murray uh, would, would be a little would be a little crazy just based on the measurables because of the height. Um, but 11 is almost like a John Ross type pick. He does something better than what everybody does, and that's go through his progressions that I've seen. And his escapability, and, his able, and he's able to move the ball, and he's able to move. He's not able to get away like Haskins is or whatever. But, I mean, that's arguable. I mean, that's a good argument. But it's at that John Ross level. Because John Ross, in hindsight, probably should have gone like 15, 20, 14. That's thinking, hey, I need a good number two. And I need, and, and I have a proficient offense. The Bengals jumped the gun on him because they said, hey, we're going to take the fastest guy in the, on the, in, the, in the draft. And then they followed up with Malone. So you know what they were trying to do, get fast. Because they were so slow with LaFell and company before. So it made sense. Kyler Murray at 11 through 15 makes a whole lot of sense to me. Taking them before that, I don't see anybody taking them before that. Just based on what I'm seeing in the linebackers and everybody in the defensive talent that's going to be there. If you don't do that, I'll be all on board for a right tackle or a linebacker. And they will be looking at Devin White, stuff like that. But I did want to give you all that insight that's to tell you what I'm always thinking. Every other draft, you should be always looking at quarterback. Even if you had the franchise quarterback of the future, the Packers should absolutely be looking for quarterback. Because say you're on a playoff run, the quarterback gets hurt, you don't want to miss a beat. You don't want to miss a beat. And that's, in, 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 I mean, come on, that's Nick Foles. So thank y'all very much for checking this out. I ran so much overtime because I was like, man, I want to do 20 minutes. Goodness gracious, we are 40 minutes. You know what that means? I'm a savage. Before I forget, last thing, last thing. I have a big interview um, in the works. Please stay tuned. This is the biggest thing that I've that's ever happened to Zim um, Hude. So 
uh, pray for me. I got a big interview in the works. It's going to be so fun and so epic. I I normally don't speak on stuff like that until it happens, but oh my God, I want you guys to wheel this thing into to fruition and make this happen because I mean, when I tell you like this is like, this is, it, it's funny because it's probably not the biggest player in the world, but it's the perfect interview for, for us, for us. Who did? I got lots of strikes. I'm my nigga shice. You can roll the dice. You might lose your life. Keep my desert eagle on me. He not nothing nice. I just need one clock. Nah, I just need one mic. I done did a lot in the streets and them facts. PTSD.